we were in negotiations for investing in real estate. They're winning, they're making money. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Educators Podcast, where we provide the education you can build on. I am your host, Kevin Amalsh. I am loving doing this podcast because we not only help real estate investors, but we help the real estate educators and the content creation behind that. I have a very special guest. She's one of the experts in this industry, in this niche. So I can't wait to introduce you to her or her to you. Um, but if you like what you hear, even if you don't, help me out, please. I'm trying to build the channel here. Give me a five-star review. So with that, Pamela, is it Moss? Garrett? Yes. Did I get that right? I, you did. Perfect. Hi, Kevin. So, I'm so excited for this, Pam, because you know I've known you for quite some time now, and you know, I've had you on the stage at some of our events before, and um, the crowd always loves you. Um, so you've been in in the you're an attorney and you've been doing this for quite some time. So you're the law mother um, based in Colorado. So you own the company Law Mother and you are really focused on building generational wealth, protecting what matters, you say. So you're going to protect the kids, really. Um, but it's about taxes. It's about asset protection. It's about um, after death. Right. That's that's really your niche. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about everything you do and all the great work you do. So happy to be here. Thank you so much. So 800,000 followers. So we got to build up to this story. And how did you accomplish that? So take me back before you even were an attorney. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to get into law? Yeah, so I actually grew up in a family of engineers and educators. So my mom is a teacher. My dad's an engineer. And um, I'm the first lawyer in my family. And actually, when I decided to be a lawyer, kind of the reaction from my family was not positive. They didn't like lawyers. They didn't trust lawyers. Um, so I, you know, growing up, my dream was to be uh, the first woman in the NBA. Like I, I was a basketball player. And then the WNBA came out. So um, unfortunately, I'm only 5'3". My brother's 6'3". So that kind of ruined my <laughs> basketball dreams. Um, and then my high school had a program where they, you know, just piloted law classes. Um, so pre-law, um, you know, mock trial. And so I started doing that in high school and loved it and wanted to become a lawyer and um, with my dad's background in engineering, um, I'd always been good at math and science. And so I ended up studying engineering. I was a civil engineer and worked as an engineer before I went to law school. And, um, you know, I thought it would be a good background in case, you know, my dad was like, in case you don't do the whole law route. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I really loved being an engineer and I, I did that for a while. And but I had always had this itch um, to get into the legal field. So decided to. Um, go to law school and loved it. Where'd you go to school? Uh, CU Boulder for law school. And I'm from Arizona. So I went to Arizona State for engineering school. And how I really got involved with real estate was both as a civil engineer. So I worked on major construction projects um, for a company called CH Tomb Hill. Um, we did um, some, you know, massive projects. And then um, as a when I started off my legal career, I did a lot of construction defect litigation. So that's kind of from the background in civil engineering and working in litigation. That's kind of how I got involved with a lot of real estate. Yeah, because you definitely found your niche. The investor community here in Colorado at least loves you. And we all know who you are. So you definitely found your niche. Um, 
but you, so you did construction defect. How did you get into the asset protection and the probate and all of that? Yeah. So, um, growing up my, um, one of my family members passed away and it was a really horrible probate experience. And, you know, I didn't know what I know now. So I was in college at the time. And when I became a lawyer, I looked into it and I thought the firm had committed malpractice. And I found out what they did was actually very common practice. So really after litigating for several years, um, really became passionate about helping people proactively avoid litigation. And I think it's probably a little bit of that engineering background still in me, like enjoying helping people prepare and plan and re-engineer things. So that's after, you know, I've been practicing law for 13 years now. After 10 years of litigation, I was like, I'm just going to help people avoid litigation. That sounds good for the rest of my career. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I've heard that from a lot of different attorneys that they just get burned out on that side of it. And then yeah, there's some people that get burned out on like contracts and they want to get into litigation. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I loved it. I started off as um, a deputy district attorney. So I was up in Boulder as a um, government attorney and I was in the courtroom every day. Like if you watch Law and Order, that was my job. And I loved back when I was young and <laughs> right out of law school, I just loved the, you know, the adrenaline of being in jury trials every week and being in the courtroom. And it was a lot of fun um, and good camaraderie and good you know, very um, rewarding, serving my community, helping people. And then the civil litigation world is um, surprisingly nastier than the criminal world. Like the criminal oh, yeah. world, you have, you you would think criminal is higher stakes because it's life and death. But when the civil world with money, it's even, it's a little bit nastier. You know, there was more attorneys you know, fighting in depositions and getting in each other's faces and screaming. And we have a really good legal community out here. So it wasn't as bad as some of the places <laughs> I've come across. Um, but yeah, it does take its toll. And I feel like just when you're in battle every day, um, you just bring that home. And I just um, got to the point where I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm putting, <laughs> I'm putting all my battle wounds to good use and I'm going to help yeah. people be proactive. And I love it. It's so much. I thought I was going to be bored. I thought it wasn't going to be as exciting, but it's just as exciting. It's just as rewarding. And I'm really lucky that it's been such a great fit. I, I can imagine in the estate planning world, if it does get into a litigation or a fight of some kind, that's probably even more nasty than maybe just business partners. Now you're talking about siblings fighting with each other. Have you experienced some of that? So I just do the planning side now. So I have experienced that in the past. And now I just kind of, I just do the proactive stuff. I try to put things in place in a way to prevent that from happening. And so I think, you know, sometimes people who only spend their time drafting documents, they don't see what happens to those documents after the fact, and they don't have that kind of skill set. So I enjoy bringing those stories to my clients and letting them know, hey, you know, these are the potentials not to scare them, but just so they understand and we can do something better for them. Yeah. And I, so I read your book. Fantastic. By the way, oh, I got a lot, I got a lot out of it. So thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. Um. So you have some stories in there and some like kind of nightmare ish stories. Do you want to share one with us? 
Yeah. What should we be looking at as a real estate investor? What should we, we be looking at to protect ourselves? Yeah, I would say kind of the first best step that's super easy is to just get a file folder and put the first page of everything you own in that. And I think what I one of the share, stories I shared in the book is one of my friends, um, her father passed away. He was actually a real estate investor. He was divorced and he had nothing organized. And so she had to go through all of his mail, computer files, boxes, um, contact former employers, trying to figure out what assets he had and where they were. Um, it took her two years. She's still not sure she has everything. This is how assets get lost. And so just a really simple thing of just grabbing your first page of all of your accounts, of all of your investments, putting it somewhere on an whether you're digital and you put it in an Excel spreadsheet or you're old school and you put it in a file folder and let someone know where it is and keep it up to date. And that's going to make a huge difference if you were to become incapacitated so they can step in and manage things for you. And when you pass away for them as well. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I got to tell you, that's not so easy to do. So as a real estate investor, I know that we're buying, we're selling, like assets are coming in and out constantly. Um, so I found when I was reading your book, like, man, my, I just did this two years ago or three years ago, and it's already out of date. Like, how do you how do you keep up to date on that? What's some strategies? Yeah, so I think, you know, I always like to meet people where they're at and what your kind of way of record keeping what you like to do and make it manageable, right? So um, if you're someone who does, I'm I'm guessing you annually meet with your CPA, and go through everything and you get everything ready for then that that would be a great time to just you know go through and just double check hey you know is my asset inventory up to date have i kept it what can i put in there um just to have that set up um if you're someone that uses software you know that's always really helpful or if you're like a lot of investors who are using different type of dashboards to track their investments and things like that like that's a really great way to kind of make it fun, right? So you're watching and managing your assets. So I would say, you know, make it a point to look at it at least every year, make sure that things are like documented as far as new assets you have every year, and then set up a system to create it to make it easy for you. I know um, in my business, I use QuickBooks, and I have like a P&L. And I know there are a lot of and I work with a bookkeeper for my business. Um, and for my personal assets as well, there's a lot of really great personal bookkeepers out there. Um, so if you're someone that it's not something you like to do, like you were describing, um, and you just dread it, um, getting a personal bookkeeper might be a great way to do it because then you're kind of, I always say, um, delegate to elevate, right? So delegate to someone else. Um, that offload it and it really can help you as far as, um, and I know in your business, you know, when you're working with investors, you're having to get their financials and, you know, talk, um, you guys are very involved with talking numbers with them and helping them project out things and make good decisions. And so if you're serious about your real estate in investing business or your, your business or your other assets, knowing your numbers is everything, right? And I feel like I'm constantly being told that as a business owner. Um, it's something that once I embraced as an, an investor and a business owner, it changed my life. And I think, so I would encourage you if you're not good at doing it to get a personal bookkeeper um, to work with for your all of your investments. Um, if you're, and I think, you know, they're pretty affordable and they can keep track of it for you. And that's a really great way to do automate it. 
Yeah, I love it. You know, and we use LLCs a lot. So we have an LLC and it might have the succession plan in the LLC. So any properties that come in and out of that, I feel maybe okay. You're, you might tell me no, no, but we're setting up new LLCs constantly also. So that's when, when I made the comment, I'm out of date. It's because there's all these new LLCs that we've created to buy certain assets. And it's just, it is difficult. Um, move on to a new topic, but that it is difficult to stay up to date. Um, so thanks for the advice on that. So LLCs, that's always the question we get. I know you get it every single time you're up on stage. Like what, what's the best entity to use in real estate? And it seems like the LLC is the common answer, but why, why is that? Yeah, I think the reason a lot of people choose LLCs is they don't have as many formalities and requirements as, say, opening up a corporation. Um, they're more tax efficient, um, especially um, with the S-Corp election when you get to a certain level. Um, they provide you know, liability protection. They're simple to set up. They're simple to maintain. Um, so I would say for most people, you know, for beginning investors, I always say get make sure you have good insurance first. And mm -hmm. I don't sell insurance, but I think that's the thing that people, you know, go and listen to influencers and they are like, okay, I'm going to go get all my LLCs online and someone can sue me and nothing's going to happen because I have things in an LLC. And like, that's really just not true. And you're really exposing yourself up um, to a lot of potential headache down the road. So invest in good insurance first. And then when you get to the point that you're doing an entity, I would say you want to do it right. You want to make sure um, you're not commingling assets. You want to make sure you're separating your business from your personal assets, that you're, you know, all those leases that you're signing with folks that you're signing in the name of your business and not in your personal name. And when you're getting to be a more sophisticated investor, like the ones that a lot of times that you work with or that you're getting involved with syndications, um, you really want to work with an attorney to make sure that everything's on the up and up so the SEC is not going to come after you and that, you know, everything's structured correctly. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, a lot of newer investors, I think they make some mistakes of, you know, thinking they need to spend a lot of money getting very complex structures right away. And, you know, a lot of times though they don't really have that much risk and it's not really worth putting together. You know, obviously you're more savvy and you have a lot involved. And so you probably have holding companies and all of that. But for some of the, you know, when you get your first and first and second property and you're, you know, holding it and it's a long-term rental, you know, you might not need we don't want to throw the kitchen sink at it. You don't need everything. Yeah. And I get, I'm so glad you brought that up because I get these questions all the time. Should I have a separate LLC for every deal, every rental property, or should I have a management company like a hot and cold company? You hear the term hot, cold sometimes. What, what are your thoughts on those two strategies? Yeah, I think those are good potential strategies. I think, you know, it's, it's hard to just say generally, right? Cause it always, I'm a lawyer, so I have to say it depends, right? And right. it depends on your specific situation and your specific needs. This isn't legal advice. This is legal <laughs> education. There's my disclaimer throughout. Um, yeah, I think it really depends on your long-term plans and your risk tolerance and what's involved. So if you're just starting out and you're just investing with your own money and it's just you and your spouse, um, a lot of times setting up all those entities and structures, you might not, the juice might not be worth the squeeze, right? Um, if you are investing with other people's money, if you have multiple partners, if you're really, if you're 
invent you're you know flipping you're doing a lot of construction you're opening yourself a lot to a lot more risk especially with construction defect and all of that um and so those structures might be worthwhile right so um the general idea is separating your personal assets from business assets so anytime you have entities and you have that separation you're creating a layer and that's good i just don't want you to feel like it's a hundred percent foolproof there are ways to pierce through that and so those are the mistakes i see people making is they commingle assets they don't really treat it like a separate entity they're not creating separate minutes they're not creating the formalities they don't have operating agreements they don't have that and then a lawsuit comes and it's very easy for them to pierce through all of that so if you're going to do it you just need to follow the rules and then you need to know your personality are you going to do the administrative work behind it or are you someone that isn't going to want to? And if you're not someone that's going to want to, it's not going to be worth the investment to set up. Um, so I like to make meet people where they're at and not set have people over <laughs> overcomplicate their lives that they don't have to. So, um, but yeah, it can be a great tool. Yeah. I have to tell you a story real fast, and I'm curious on some of the ways that we can protect ourselves from piercing through the veil, they call it, right? So we had a client, Pam, we loaned money to, and they were doing a new construction project. They hired themselves as the, the builder, so in a separate entity. So then we have a borrowing entity, and now we had the building entity. Well, they decided to stop paying their payments, and so we had a problem, right? We had to foreclose. Well, it turns out that the borrower entity never paid the building entity, even though it was the same owner, same individual behind both entities. And he filed a mechanics lien, which slid in front of ours because uh, architecture work started before we closed the loan. So isn't that an interesting situation? So obviously we filed the title claim and the title insurance company told me, well, this is a felony. I mean, they're, they are, um, title slander or all these different things. And we could easily pierce this veil because they didn't act appropriately. They ended up settling the case. Uh, the title company just paid them off. But curious what your thoughts are on that. And what are the, some of the other risks on piercing a veil? How do, how do we not have that happen to us? Um, I told well, you there'd be a question in there somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, um, I mean, it's one of those things where it like, does it pass the like duh test, right? Like, right. huh? Like even, even if you're not a lawyer and you're listening to that and it sounds shady, right? And does it pass the shady test? You know, I would say those kinds of things that they're trying to do, um, you know, sounds fraudulent and sounds like it isn't up to par. So that's kind of the, is it, does it pass the shady common sense tool? Um, you know, I think the, the things that people get caught off guard on are um, the idea of if you um, go and do maintenance at your own property in your per like personally versus like running it in your entity, right? So I had a client who came to me after they had already been sued and they were operating LLCs with all their different rental properties. But then the husband was like going and doing maintenance under his personal name, right? They didn't have it. They weren't running it under an entity yeah. when he was doing it. He didn't have insurance under to do that type of work. Like you would think about, right? Like you would think about, hey, if I worked with um, a handyman, a handyman is going to have 
insurance and they're going to have an entity. And if they do something wrong at one of my properties, you know, they're going to be on we the hook. hope but, so. But when you do it, right, <laughs> if you, if you like vet them. Um, but this specific instance was there was an issue with the carbon monoxide. And there was an issue with the carbon monoxide reader that was put out like the monitoring and there was a carbon monoxide issue. And so they were being, they had the LLC, but they were being sued individually as well. And so that was an opportunity to kind of, because anytime you're doing, it's not really piercing the veil. It's actually, you're being held personally responsible, but for your own action on the property. Um, and so um, in that case, you know, make sure you're an additional insured on your policies for different things. Make sure that um, you talk, you work with a really good insurance broker to let them know what you're going to be doing on the properties and things like that. And that cost benefit of doing certain things yourself, what can happen down the road. Um, so keeping that in mind, um, I think people are always surprised by um, being held responsible for things that tenants do. So Colorado is a premises liability state. And what that means as, as the landowner, you owe certain non-delegable duties, non-delegable, meaning you can't remove yourself from liability. So, you know, um, if you, and then the standard is know or should have known of a dangerous condition. And so I think that's, I mean, obviously if you're a landlord and there's a big pit in your front yard, right? We all know, hey, that's really dangerous. Someone can get hurt and you're likely going to get sued if someone gets hurt on your property if you have a big dangerous pit. Um, but I had a case involving um, a property in the mountains where there was a dangerous stairwell that wasn't to code. And a lot of tenants, um, it was an Airbnb, a lot of people had stayed there and gotten hurt and complained. And the landlord knew about it and didn't do anything. And then um, our client ended up getting becoming paralyzed, the teenage boy. And so there was a oh. big lawsuit around that. And so it's like, they can't really remove themselves of liability because they knew or should have known they had been on no notice. Um, but the standard doesn't have to be, you should be on notice. It should be, should you know, like as a reasonable landlord that something not to code can hurt someone. And so I think that's the thing that surprises people. I think the other thing that surprises people in Colorado are slips and falls, like snow and ice removal, um, being held on responsible and dangerous dogs, renting to a tenant that has a pit bull. If they go, if it goes and attacks someone, you're going to be on the hook. So I don't want to just scare everyone listening, <laughs> but these are really good things where if you have a good insurance person that you're working with, they should be talking through you with coverage. You should be taking the time to really vet um, your tenants and just kind of knowing it's, you know, calculated risk. You don't want to be so afraid that you don't do anything right, but there's some smart things that you can do to protect yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to get back to the estate planning and then how you built your audience. Um, but real quick, I, I see this a lot in the business that I'm in where we're looking at bank statements and stuff. And a lot of the LLCs, you'll see uh, McDonald's purchase for $10. You'll see, you know, night out on the town, like a movie or something coming right out of the business account. And I know, I know that these are all personal expenses, right? So this goes to the commingling that you mentioned um, what's the appropriate way, if we're going to stay safe, to get money out of our business so we can go to the movies? Yeah, so you shouldn't be. <laughs> the idea is you shouldn't be charging things to your business bank account because it can be seen as commingling and then your the veil can be pierced. So the idea is you should be paying yourself either a wage or a distribution 
you know, so if you have like for my business, I have an S corp. And so I'm giving myself a distribution in addition to my wage. And then I'm taking that money to go and purchase other items. And then if you need to clean it up, like if you've been doing that for a while, one, just stop doing it. (laughs) That's the idea. And then, you know, you'll want to clean that up with your tax person at the end of the year, if you're trying to claim, you know, if you're keeping your PL and it's a little tainted, you want to kind of fix that up with your tax person before the end of the year. Yeah. And if it's legitimate business expense, fine. But if it's a yeah. $10 McDonald's, like, you know, that's one person, right? So that's not, you're not taking someone to a meeting at that time. So I don't know. I, I never say anything to anybody. I just see it a lot. And I'm like, you probably should talk to your attorney about, about this because you pierce the veil, right? And then and that's negates the LLC, the whole reason they have it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's calculated risk. I mean, the idea is you'd have to get in litigation. They would have to like most of the time if you have like that's the where it's these are the best practices. Practically speaking, you're most vulnerable, vulnerable in those types of situations. I've seen where those go south, mainly if you're a type of investor who is um, investing with other investors or other um, professionals that are going to sue you. Right. So like your typical PI personal injury type case, um, those people are, you know, those attorneys are taking those on contingency fee. They don't want to throw good money at bad money. They um, it's very costly to litigate. So usually, you know, they're going to want to go the insurance route, work with your insurance company, get something because it's actually very expensive and time consuming to um, collect against people's properties and foreclose on it and all of that. And so that's a long winded way of saying the people that get most in trouble with that are if you are in the type of field where you're working with other business partners and doing commercial, that's when the litigation gets really nasty and they're really going to dig hard into that kind of stuff. Okay. So quickly, we're going to go back into the estate planning because I know this is really where your specialty is. So have you ever seen, well, let me ask this question first. What happens if there's no plan and it goes into and, and you die and there's no one that comes and claims the, the money or your properties? Well, like what happens to it? Yeah, so it goes to the Department of Unclaimed Property. So here in Colorado, there's over fifty million dollars in the Department of Unclaimed Property. Um, there, I'll have to pull the website. There's a new national website where it's really cool where you can look at the Department of Unclaimed Property very easily across the country and type in names. Um, So I feel like every time I do a video about this or I do a a seminar or speaking engagement, someone goes on the Colorado Department of Unclaimed Property or the equivalent in their state and discovers that the government owes them money. The fun thing about that, those websites is also you'll find money while you're alive because Anytime the government or utilities or like Verizon and anyone owes you money and they can't find you because you've been moving, they just stick it there. And after a certain amount of time, if you don't claim it, it just goes back into the government fund. So yeah, if no one, if they can't find an heir, it goes to the Department of Unclaimed Property. Can you share that with me, the link? Yeah, I'll share and that with I'll, you. And uh, then I'll put that in the show notes. I'll share that with you for the show notes. Okay, I'm gonna hear I wanna hear a horror story, Pam. Tell me a horror story about someone who didn't plan for it and they ended up like something bad happened. Like, how do we well, we want to be safe here? So tell me a horror story that we could protect ourselves from. 
Um, so I think one of the horror stories that just popped in my head was um a father who had a drug addicted um son and so he left everything to his adult grandchild and he actually did do it in a will he put it in a will and then there was a flood at his house and the original and the will got damaged and so it went through probate um and the son the alcoholic drug addicted son received everything um and so i think the idea there is um I know it wasn't your exact scenario you were looking for, but I wanted to give a simple one of if you have any dynamics in your family where you want to make sure that the right people receive what they want, um, it's very important to put a plan in place, but it's also very important to put it in a waterproof, fireproof bag or safe um, because these things can get contested. Um, I think the other kind of example is if you don't put a plan in place and you die today, everything is going to go through probate and it's costly and it's time consuming. Um, if you have minor children, it's a very scary situation. Um, a lot of times kids end up in foster care, which is what I saw a lot when I was in the DA's office. Um, and you really want to make sure you have something set up so that um, you're not going to lose property that your kids are going to be cared for in the way that you want. And it's not going to be time consuming and costly. Okay. So definitely get your estate planning in place, call you, you'll help them with it. <laughs> yeah. And I think the idea is I feel like every week I talk to people and it's the same thing that I hear every week is like, I've been meaning to do this for so long. And it's one of those things that people tend to put off until it's too late. So I feel like um, we try to make it really smooth and easy. I have a sense of humor. If you follow me on social media, you'll see that. So we try to have, you know, take things seriously, protect you seriously, but also try to make it a easy to a more light, easy process so that you can get it taken care of. The Real Estate Educators Podcast is brought to you by Pine Financial Group. Pine Financial Group is a private lender specializing in value-add bridge lending for real estate investors. This is accomplished by raising private money from individual investors and lending that money out in short-term real estate loans. Pine operates one of the coolest public mortgage funds on the market because it brings consistency and security to your investment portfolio without giving up on returns. The fund pays its investors a flat 8% return with monthly distributions. There is a low minimum investment and no lockup period. That's right. You can request all of your money back at any time without any fees. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street with the Pine Financial Group Public Fund, PFG Fund 5. Find out more at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. I'm so glad you brought up social media. So Good you segue. have done a, such a great, you've done such a great job with that. So tell me how Instagram is your go-to, I think, or do you use all, all of them? So right now we have about 500,000 followers on Instagram, about 300 on Facebook and about 150 on TikTok. So TikTok What's your favorite? Our louder. My favorite is Instagram right now. Because of the because of the big following. <laughs> I think um I 
the nice thing about Instagram is I feel like um, the way the interaction works is I feel like we get really good interaction and people are genuinely curious. They want, it's a lot, it's, I feel like it's a very positive and we're getting really great connection and, and relationships and people really talking about it. Um, and just the nature of how Instagram works, it's easier for people to share and interact with content. So the content that we create, people share, and then people come back to us and ask us questions. And um, it's just not the same on TikTok. Like TikTok doesn't have that same share feature. Um, Facebook is okay. It's just um, for whatever reason, like the comment sections in Facebook, you get a lot more. Like I stopped looking at the Facebook comment section because you'll get one person and they'll go back and forth and just have, like there's just a lot more of that okay. back and forth that, you know, it's not good for anybody. Um, so I feel like, yeah, I mean, we've had more success on Instagram, but I just feel like that energy of people really, you know, bringing the... <laughs> Helping other people, being positive, like not going to the lowest common denominator on it. I feel like it's a little bit better, but I still enjoy Facebook. I think a lot of our um, our clients that are 60 and over are on Facebook. And so that's why we continue to post there is because we're able to serve them and educate them and reach them. So, so how does someone build a following of 500,000 people on Instagram? Like, I don't even have an Instagram account. So if I was going to do this, how how do I do it? Is it a business account, personal account? Like, maybe we start there. Yeah. So um, I have a business account on Instagram. Um, the, there are some benefits of doing it as a business account um, with a business account. And um, I'm not a Instagram coach. So <laughs> obviously you could work with someone directly and they could give you more info. This is me going off the top of my head. Um, you know, there's a lot more features as far as analytics, as far as interacting with your audience. There's just a lot more if you have the um, business or creator account, I think what they call it now versus just your own personal. You obviously want to make it public if you're trying to get um, connect with people versus keeping it private. So um, yeah, I think one of the things that I like to share with people on social media um, is one, you don't need to have 800,000, 900,000 followers to make an impact and get your message out there. Um, so I really, you know, up until June of this year, I had, I think, 50,000 followers on Instagram. My Facebook business page had probably like 300 followers. <laughs> My TikTok probably had like 50,000. So um, so really for the last several years, I've gotten a lot of clients from social media and had a relatively lower following. So my tip for people on social media, especially for your audience, is it's actually more about what you give to other people versus your content and your following. So if you have, um, for example, if you're listening and you're a realtor and you have power partners who send you referrals and they're active on social media, you want to follow their pages and you want to do thoughtful comments and likes on their posts every day. So if you, um, if you have a Facebook account, even if it's a private Facebook account, all of the lawyers that refer clients to me, all of the professional people that refer clients to me, I'm on Facebook with them 
and I'm engaging with their comments. I mean, with their content and so few people you'll notice will comment on their stuff. And if you're one of those people that's taking the time to really, it's just like <laughs> networking in real life and having those relationships. Obviously you want the people who are active on there. And if none of the people in your life are active on social media, then the people that are in your industry that you want to connect with, that you see are there, work like connect with their content. I would say, you know, everyone's kind of chasing and I'm happy to talk to you about how I've gone viral and doing all that. But I would say for like 99% of your audience, that's the fancy like, you know, um, distraction. The real thing that's going to make a difference that's really made a difference for my business over the last several years isn't the shiny object of having those stats. The thing that has made a difference is me authentically keeping those relationships going on social media and connecting with those people. Does that translate? No, that's great. I really love that. It's great advice. How do you have time for that? That's the, the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that is, oh my goodness, like how do you, how do you do it? Yeah, so one, I would say like, you only want to be on social media if you truly enjoy it. So if it's something you don't want to do, don't force yourself to do it. Um, I just do 10 minutes a day and you really have to be very, um, so you don't get sucked into the void that is social media. But like, I just spend 10 minutes um, every morning. I go on LinkedIn for a few minutes and comment. I go on Facebook for a few minutes and comment. And I go on Instagram for a few minutes and comment. And and if like I'm going out and doing networking events and I'm meeting people and they're active on social media, I'll follow them and I'll interact with them. And the goal isn't for me to build a following. The goal is for me to deepen the relationship and get to know them and support them and share their content and share their resources with my community. Um, I think like people will spend hours creating content to go viral and even though I've done that and I'm happy to talk about it and what's happened, I think like the thing that's made the biggest difference to my business has been those relationships and using social media. So I would say go with the thing you like. Like if that sounds exhausting to you, obviously you don't want to do it. I'm someone who actually likes social media, so it doesn't sound exhausting to me. Um, but if you're someone who is on there and you want to, you know, and go like if you're on Instagram, look at hashtags that are trending in the area like if you're a realtor in denver type in like denver real estate and see what's trending and who the top people are who are active in denver and who are the top insurance people and financial advisors and look at their content and connect with them um facebook's a little bit easier to do that with um but just to keep yourself top of mind like if i was to be talking to you specifically about your business i would be saying to you like Kevin, who are the like 15 people that refer you the most business are any of them active on social media, go follow them. And then just every couple days, you know, go and comment on their, on their thing and kind of stay in the loop with them on social media, just like you would do back when we were in, uh, in real life. IRL. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Okay. I think that is fantastic advice and we could probably stop there, but now you opened it up. I got to know about this viral thing. So <laughs> what's the story here? Um, yeah. So um, I, I, I'm like trying to break it all down into what happened. So um, 
it really is kind of specific on your specific audience and who you're trying to target. And so I think about that, about your content. So I think a lot of times the mistake people make is they post content on social media and they're not like, it's not content their target audience really wants to see. So maybe um, you are a realtor, but you also love like jigsaw puzzles. Like you don't want your, if you're really trying to build your real estate business, you don't want like jigsaw puzzle stuff filling your feed. So you need to like, I would say first, think about your target audience, what type of content they want to see. And then go and look on research um, online through hashtags, kind of what the different trending, take a look at it. Um, I think I've taken a few different um, strategies. So one, I've taken a lot of courses on social media and Instagram and Facebook. Um, so even though this happened overnight, it's been something I've been studying and testing for many years. Um so for me in my niche um, and connecting with in the financial industry and in the real estate sp space, um, there are a few different types on Instagram of reels that are doing really well right now. And they tend to be reels that talk to my specific audience, which are um, focused around storytelling. So scenarios, skit, skit type reels are doing really well. Um, for real estate investors, for parents, for business owners. So, um, and I come from an improv background and comedy background and comedy writing background. So fun fact that you probably didn't know about me, Kevin. No, I did not so, know that. That's awesome. <laughs> so, when I, so when I was in law school, um, I started taking improv classes um, just to get better at public speaking because I was going to be doing trial. And, um, and I was like, I'm never going to perform improv or anything like that. It's just so I can get better at trial. And then I loved it. And so I joined like an improv team, which probably makes me sound very nerdy to many people on here. Some people might think this is cool. There's a lot of jokes about improvisers out there. So, <laughs> um, so I was performing. I was like in trial by every week and every Saturday night I was performing improv, um, like whose line is it anyway style downtown Denver. Um, and then that got me into the stand-up comedy world. And I started doing stand-up comedy and I started doing um, sketch comedy. And so I, that was like many years of my life. It was like my outlet before I got married and had kids and a really fun community. And I got into the film industry and I just did a lot in that world. Um, and so now that I saw that trend, I like, it got me excited because of my background. So, um, I started just doing sketches on in Instagram reels on topics that hit my audience and making them kind of funny and making them interesting and educational. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't really talked too much about this topic. So I feel like I'm, I'm excited and passionate to share, but I also like don't teach Instagram. So I'm like, mm -hmm. this is really just my experience. I'm trying to, as I'm telling you the reason I'm pausing, I'm like, what can I pull out to make this actionable for other people? But just flat out sharing my story, um, I came home from the hospital with my newborn baby boy. Um, luckily, I have an amazing team at my office. So I was on maternity leave um, and my team was running everything. And I was home like the first week in May, just sitting there at three in the morning, breastfeeding. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to make a video. And I made a video um, and it went viral. I got like, uh, I don't know, like three or four million views. 
And as oh. soon as that happened, I was like, okay, I got to keep making videos. And so at the time I had taken a class by another social media influencer and she basically said she had set the goal for six months to do a reel every day. And so I'm like, I'm just going to do a reel every morning during my maternity leave. And so at three in the morning, I wake up with my son for my whole four months of my maternity leave. And I would like do a video. That's crazy. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to get a, an account and come and, and follow you just for this. Yes. And so like the, so I post the same videos on Facebook. So I do a reel post okay. on Instagram. I post that same reel on TikTok, LinkedIn. So you've probably seen them. And then on Facebook. So I pay, post it in all of those places. Um, and then I kind of, so my goal was to get to six months um, of posting every day. So I've been doing it since May. So I'm almost at the six month point. Um, I think like week two or week three, it's, I start, it started to go viral. So I went from like 40,000 to like a hundred thousand to 200. Like I just like started climbing up. I think after a month I was at close to 400. Like it just shot up just with the consistency of posting every day. Um, because I wanted to ride the wave of the fact. Yeah. So then once you have videos that go viral, then the videos around them tend to go viral because people look at your page. Um, and so I've taken more courses over the time. Like some of the stuff I originally did in May really sucks. And isn't that great? But it still went viral. Um, I've gotten better. I think maybe if people don't think I did, I have, <laughs> I'm uh, sure you have. <laughs> and so for me, I guess if I would break it down, I would say show up. So, um, share, you know, you want to do a hook, um, hook in the first few seconds that your target audience will like, you want to share like an educational tip, um, or something educating them. Um, I took one Instagram course on these types of videos and generally speaking, you want to keep it 30 seconds or less. You want to, um, every sentence you're saying, you want to switch the camera angle right so you don't want to if you're doing a 30 second educational video like you don't want to just have one straight on for 30 seconds so each sentence you want to either change your camera angle or change to different motion um, a lot of people watch the videos on silent on their phones muted so captions are really helpful um those i feel like i could give like 100 tips those are i don't want to overwhelm people but i would say um, before I went viral, I still got a lot of clients just from showing up on social media with my network. So the people who followed me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, for whatever reason, like really shows video content like to everybody. And if you tag people, they show it to their audience. And so I get a lot of clients from LinkedIn who see videos. Um, so, you know, just I always tell people starting out. Um, showing yourself on video is such a, people will know, like, and trust you better. They'll take the time to get to know you. They'll feel like they're connected with you. And I know you do a great job with that, Kevin, um, with all of the content you put out there. So I would just say, um, that's the first barrier for a lot of people is just showing up, sharing value, sharing your personality. Even if it doesn't go viral, the fact that it's being showed to your network, you're keeping top of mind. People are going to connect with you. People are going to send you clients, um, really take the time to add value. Um, and then the other thing is um, 
I guess, pitfalls, which one of my mentors talked about is they're like, I was just talking to someone the other day and they're like, oh, should I do this trend and this trend and like audio trends and all of this stuff? Um, and um, there are trends with like videos that are complaining. So you can make a video that's you complaining about something, but then you're attracting complainers. Like, do you really want complainers? <laughs> so like, I'm really conscious now of like everything. I'm, I get a lot of ideas of things to put out there um, that I know could go viral because like you see a trend or you see some audio and you're like, oh my God, I could create like this really funny video that I have the audience and it would go viral. But is it really consistent with your brand? Is it what you want to be putting out in the world? Is it like following those golden rules? Like, is it something that needs to be said? Is it going to make people's lives better? Or is it just like putting more negativity into the world and bringing people down and, you know, tearing? So I'm really cognizant of that. And when I put content out there, um, see, asking myself, is this going to add value? Is this going to help people? Um, does this represent you know, what I want to represent in the world. And I think now I'm thinking about it more and more, the larger my audience grows, like I feel like a more sense of responsibility of, you know, taking that to heart and wanting to put good things out there. Um, the other thing I would say, like Instagram, the nice thing about Instagram, I would say like my number one tip is if you have, if you're building an email list and you have a call to action, um, use like in your caption, say, like, drop the word book to get a copy because I know you have a book, Kevin. So like, if you say free book in my bio, no one's going to click on it. But if you say comment book, and I'll send you the link, like you'll get hundreds of people that want it. And then you'll have to download a program like ManyChat that will like send them all the link. But I made that switch. So like probably my first week, um, of going viral, I was I was just like, go to the link in my bio to get my free book and nobody downloaded it. And then I saw other influencers that said comment book and I researched it and I changed to that. And now I have like 40,000 people on an email list who've downloaded my book. So that's like, really, you want to have a lead magnet. You want to be growing your email list and you want to say comment with whatever that code is so that you can get them that content and get it out to them. Um, and people will Instagram and Facebook that people will interact with that and you can automate it. Oh my gosh. I, I, I just took a ton of notes. <clears throat> so, Trent, we're, we do these to help our clients. Like you were, you were mentioning how you add value to your audience and that's a big priority for you. And that, and that's why people love you and, and follow you, right? Because you're, you want to educate those. That, that was big. That's what we're doing this too. That's why we're doing this. And I'm getting a ton of value out of this. So Yay, that's good. <laughs> this is awesome. So mini chats, like an AI that will respond and, and, uh, many chat. Yeah. Will's code. And then look at the many chat ahead of time, because we just realized this now. Um, so we have all these people who've responded on many chat and many chat will only let you blast to people within, um, 24 hours of messaging. And so when you have new offers that go out, you can't re-message them unless you have them opt in for updates. So you want to set a sequence. <laughs> These are things we learned as we went. Oh, yeah. Where you want to have like a sequence in many chat, like look at all the cool features that they have because they have cool features where you can have a conversation with people where you can ask them questions. Like for your business, you could be like, um, all right, download my free, um, you know, 
hard money investing guide comment, you know, money. And then they get the link from you. And then you'd be like a follow-up question, like, get my, like, be the first to know the next blah, blah, blah offer I have. <laughs> and then they would say yes and subscribe. And then you can keep, like, we didn't realize that. And so now we had all these people that message us from before. Luckily, most of them are on our email list. Um, but so we're only, but we're only able to email them. We would be able to continue messaging them on the other platform. So, um, that was a tip that I didn't realize till after the fact. So don't make my same mistake. <laughs> you um, as you go. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, stories are a really good way to connect with people. Um, lives are a really good way to build your audience and connect with people. And then that's just small, consistent action. It's like, weightlifting and physical fitness like everyone wants that like magic diet and magic pill and magical workout but like it really just comes down to those like small eating habits and small exercise habits every day same with what you do with growing your business like it's it's that small consistent action it's the same thing with social media like the small you know set the goal at first I would say of just like spending 10 minutes a day commenting on your network and connecting with new people in your area and commenting on their stuff, like start there and then start like maybe setting a goal. Like every week I'm going to go live and share some tips and just see how that goes. You don't have to become, you know, you'll get a lot of results from that. You don't have to become, but if you are interested, there's a lot of really good courses out there um, that you can take to learn. And yeah. Well, you've done a great job. <laughs> I had no idea about the the your background, the, the comedy and the the acting and the stand up. That's so fun. And now you have a family and and a newborn. How's that going? It's going great. Like I I love being a mom. I um I had kiddos later in life, so I'm 41. So I had my daughter at 38 and my son this year, four months ago. So, um you know, I keep telling my husband, if we had done it younger, I would have like three more. It's like, I love it so much, but we're yeah, it's so much. Um, I love it. It's, uh, it's my why it, um, my daughter just had her birthday party and we had Elsa an Elsa performer. And my oh, daughter awesome. was <laughs> so happy, like taken away by her, but yeah, I think, I mean, that's what we all do it for is our family and, and our kids. And I'm so blessed that we were able to have kids later in life and there's some pros and cons of that. I try to, it keeps me young at, that's what I feel like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I have two, I think, you know, 13 and 15, so a bit older, but I love it this age too, watching them play competitive sports. And it's like, oh, this little pride, right? I just love it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, um, I didn't, I was just talking to someone the other day who was telling me that my neighborhood, like Highland Ranch has like so many good soccer programs that are nationally in our national team. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get my daughter into soccer now. So <laughs> I can only imagine if my kids you got a little time. I know. I'm like, no, we're doing it now, Kevin. We got to start the training. <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to be at practices every night. Oh, we did gymnastics for a little while. Ooh, that's like, they're in the gym literally five nights a week. It's like, how do you get any homework done? But um, yeah, yeah, luckily they, she my gymnast chose soccer so it's not not nearly as bad so um so when are you gonna do your first instagram reel kevin i gotta get an instagram account first 
Oh, Pine Pine has an Instagram account. I think we do. I know nothing about it, but let me look into this. I know you guys have a Pine Pine because I've tagged you guys and stuff. So I definitely. Oh, oh that's so sweet. I've Thank seen you. Your Instagram account. Yeah, you do have one. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll go look. I'll go log in and see that's what we're doing. That's the first step to know that you have an account. <laughs> I got to learn what a reel is. So <laughs> a reel is like a TikTok. It's like a short video. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you just did a webinar about hiring your kids and then doing the custodial uh, uh, Roth IRA. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to to listen to it, but it's something that's been on my radar for quite some time. And we we just had two. So we have a blended family. There's five kids in our house and um, they're all teenagers. And we had two of them come in and do a presentation on why we need to start a TikTok account and why they should manage it. So oh, uh, pretty amazing. 14-year-old, 15-year-old. And, and so go. we're going to... You've, you've got your social media, you've got the, the talent yep. right there. And, and they're goofy. So I'm sure that they could come up with some fun videos for me to do. So we're in the process. Yep. And then you can put them on payroll and right. get them a custodial Roth IRA. That's what we're doing. That's the whole plan. It took me 15 years, but we're finally. Hey, it's not too late. I mean, even doing it now, like putting it in for the next, you know, for the next few years, that will compound for sure. And it'll be worth a lot. You know, just the, if you just do that, you know, 20,000, it will be worth a lot by the yeah. retirement. Yeah. Was, I mean, I was like, I'm finally doing it. I'm probably, and then I saw your webinar. I was like, ah, it's like, we're, we're connected or something because I was like, I was just doing this. <laughs> You're doing it. You're doing it. I'm proud of you. No, that's well, uh, I'm excited to collaborate with your kids on TikTok and Instagram. Okay. You can invite me to the, your guys's brainstorm meeting i can be a a guest to help uh consult on that and oh they would love you and uh the two i do a lot with wigs because i just think it's hilarious and so i'm sure we could get you in a wig and your kids would love it i'll, I'll wear a wig for sure <laughs> well we got to get, get running here let's um how do we find you so you got an amazing social media following how do we how do we connect with you on social media yeah connect with me at law mother co on instagram law mother co on Insta, lawmotherco.com for kind of my social media world and lawmother.com for the law firm. And I see your book in the back there. It is Legally Ever that. After. Yep. You can get a free copy um, if you go to lawmother.com slash free book, or if you sent DMS book on Instagram, we'll send you the link. You have been an amazing guest. I have more notes from this hour. It's been about an hour that we spent together that I have with anybody else. I've learned a ton. I hope awesome. the audience has learned as much as I have. I hope they give us a five-star review. Um, I really appreciate everything you've done. Do for me and you've done um, by giving me your time today, Pam. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. All right. We'll see you on the next one. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh yeah. And tell a friend.